We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight, and alongside me, in person, in this person. is weird. This is oh, weird. We're actually in the studio. <laughs> what, what, what? Alongside me, we got a David, your local horror virgin, also known as Nightly. On the other end, there we got Freddie with the Spoopy Boys in person. Gotta in love person. it safely. Safely, of course. We we took the precautions to make sure we can do this. Yeah, we're in hazmat suits. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> also known as Nighty Night. We're a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down and discuss the ultimate question, why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. You can support the show over at patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife. And that's night with a what? Okay. Oh, no lag. I love it. By pledging <laughs> on Patreon, you have access to the show ad-free and as early as Monday with a post-show. If you don't have any bucks to toss don't worry a new, epi- a new episode is released every friday on most podcast services around the world now kicking things off a brand new month which i'm super stoked for extremely stoked for this brand new month is march of madness where we're going to be covering all films with cosmic horror elements involved in them in some way shape form somehow i'm actually going to dedicate this month to a one and only Joe Mertens. Hell Joe yeah. Mertens, this is your fucking month, dude. Like, this, this is, is for your you. Month. <laughs> this is exactly for you. You deserve it. Because we are starting not only with a movie that he always quotes me with, we're going to be starting with John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness. First and foremost, gentlemen, thoughts. David, do you want to take this one away first? I'm curious. Do you guys have any opinion on what, how I could be leaning towards this film? I oh. personally think you are going to love this movie frederick i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna have to say the same stuff i think you're gonna love this movie i hope you don't i think you loved this movie i'm not gonna say love actually you know what fuck i am i'm gonna say love all right i had a ton of fun watching this yeah. movie. yes <laughs> love it um yeah man i mean this was great it i think for i think you guys know the answer because i repeat myself Every time I love a film, I love a mystery. I love asking questions and I love going on the journey to find the answers. Um, it does get very meta and deep where yeah. I hope you guys can share some insight if you have it and school me on this. Um, because <laughs> it was a fun ride. Yes. Um, and it was very interesting, right? It's, I'm glad I went into it knowing that it was a cosmic horror film because if I didn't go in with that context, I think I would have been um, pretty kerfuffled at first. You know, sure. it's um, a hard movie to wrap your head. Yeah, around. but I love the pacing. I love how it's shot. Yeah, um, the first act of this film gave me major Candyman vibes. 
Um, and Ooh. because of the protagonist and the way we kind of peek into their curiosity and how it kind of leads them down a path. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the exciting portion of the film. And also with how it's shot, I think it's reminiscent of like um, 1930s films. Like I think Candyman did that a lot with the focus on lighting on the protagonist there. And I think you had that here with John Trent in a weird way um, where lighting could focus on women in film history. But in here you kind of have that detective, like dim light focus, um, style to it and I don't know I really liked it it was really cool yeah what about you Freddie? oh okay I'm really happy that you love this movie because <laughs> this movie is fucking fantastic yeah it's was good this, was this okay this is my question. first time watching it so this was your first time watching this as well this was your first time watching this for yeah, sure yeah it was and since this was your first have you heard of this movie no, before I've never heard of it and I'm so embarrassed by saying that out loud right now because <laughs> yeah you should be to, to be honest and uh, this is all seriousness that i i think this is definitely gonna be like my top 10 horror film oh wow of all time it's like Welcome it's gonna be part of that list to my life yeah like <laughs> obviously you guys know that i love the thing and yeah, John yeah. Hunter, right? that's all i thought of when and, i was watching this Ah, oh, God, the creature designs and just the way they look and the practical effects and how it's actually shot and how the music goes and the yeah. story itself. Um, I loved every like single thing about this movie. This was like right up my alley. It kind of like you were talking about stuff that like kind of references movies that we've seen before, right? Like Candyman. Yeah. I got big like Halloween 3 vibes, which is kind of like almost the same premise. Like there's a mystery they have to solve. Uh, it becomes like a little bit of a road trip movie. Yeah. They go together, like the guy and the girl. Yeah. There's a little bit of tension between them as well. They kind of see this craziness that happens at the third act, just like that movie. John loves doing that. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> he loves and to go bonkers in the end, dude. Yeah. Another thing that like really like got me is like, oh, I've played the game Alan Wake before. Ooh, this is yeah. very Alan Wake-esque as yeah. well. It's like, oh, he's an author whose like stories come true and he has to like fight against his own yeah. stuff. I was like, I love that game. I loved Halloween 3. I love the thing. This has all of it. <laughs> what the hell? This movie was made for me. Yes. Um, no, I, I adore this movie. This movie was fantastic. Oh, I okay. I'm so happy you said that. I'm happy that you both very much enjoyed this movie. So I think this is one of those films because I tend to be this type of person. I'll watch something that is, you can tell there's a lot of theory crafting that will go into after you watch it. And at least I think so with this film, right? We're going to dive into this conversation. But I, when that happens, I like watching the film and trying to figure out my own theory crafting on my own. And then when you have a conversation with friends, right? Like we're about to have, and you start hearing other people's theories, that's where I get really hyped up. I'm like, oh, this is so good. Just yeah, hearing yeah. <laughs> other people's interpretation of it. So yeah. what did you think, Prince? I fucking adore this movie. I think I said last week, that this was my favorite, favorite John Carpenter movie of all time. I think. <laughs> That's huge. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to agree with that. love this movie. It, it's so bonkers. It's totally H.P. Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft, right? Which mm-hmm. is, um, I think it's At the Mountain of Madness is the H.P. Lovecraft novella. But um, this is just bananas. And it's it's 
so bonkers to the point where it's just like, I don't know what I'm visually seeing, but these creatures are so fucking good. Like, oh it's, my it's, God. they age well too. Goodness. Oh, it's so good. Oh, it works so it well. It works yeah. fantastic. Yeah. It, it works so, so, so well. Ah, the kids, the fucking kids. <laughs> oh, the fucking dude. Kids. And how the slowly, uh, we'll get to it. So, yeah. Bella, but, Bella um, was next to me while. I was watching the movie, right? And she was like, I need to go to the bathroom. And then she got up and then the portion, the scene with the little girl and her face all scary pops up and she's in the center of the screen and Bella goes, <laughs> never mind, I'm scared. And she gets back in bed. <laughs> I already went. <laughs> yeah, it's, I love every single aspect of this film. Like I, for me, it's one of those movies that definitely you can take with a grain of salt if you want to because it is so off the wall that you technically don't have to take this movie as of like, all right, I'm going to go ahead and search every single aspect of this film. Like, for example, Sam Neill's accent going in and out. Like, sure. Yeah, acceptable. Like, no, exactly. Yeah. It was completely acceptable because the whole fucking thing's in his head. Yeah. And that's like it's the just beauty how behind he's being written, right? Exactly. And that's how I also oh, uh, yeah. contextualized it for myself. Yeah, like like in, in for, for a lot of people, that was like the complaint where it's just like, what the fuck's going on with Sam Neill's like accent here yeah, like it's yeah. coming in and out like it's new zealand and it's English, it's british and then it's back to uh american and it's it's it, it was very odd it is very odd i will admit but still it, it's it goes with this film like yeah, it, just, it goes yeah. perfectly with this because film, and i'm if, glad this is our first choice for march of madness yeah it's such a great choice and i think when you when you're really in on immersing yourself in a film you will contextualize it like it sounds like we at least for prince and i, I don't know about you freddie but we heard that and we're like there's a reason for that we'll make a reason in our mind to like kind of yeah give context to it like and i, I love sure. i love when yeah. aspects of media whether it's um you know shows film games um <clears throat> allow you to do that yeah where it's not so rigid right so i really enjoyed it me too damn let's go and jump into the fucking flag i'm excited let's do it <laughs> In the Mouth of Madness. Also, Doctor Strange being called in the Multiverse of Madness. Right. Hint, this was the inspiration. Supposedly, it's supposed to go into Doctor Strange. I'm fucking stoked. Directed by John Carpenter, released on February 3rd of 1995 with a runtime of one hour and 35 minutes. A budget of $14 million and a box office, sadly, of $8.9 million. Oh, damn. Yeah, I was pretty bummed out to hear about that, too, yeah, with yeah. a rating of 59% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I saw that before I started Kick the film. fucking rocks. <laughs> Critics who don't fucking like horror movies need to stop reviewing horror movies. That's just... Plain and simple. Yeah, Plain and simple. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. We open to those sweet 90s wrists like as the newspapers are being printed during the title sequence. We cut to an ambulance blaring down the down a driveway to a mental institution. Sarpenstein is on the phone asking where he, quote unquote, is, confirming that he's cleared and let and to let him in. He hangs up the phone to tell the others that um, he is coming. The orderlies drag jo John Trent. Into the room, Saperstein telling them to put him in number nine, which he's also a nine in the hotel as well. So, good call out. Little fun little thing there. Uh, John fights them off on, on fights them off of him. 
Both of them grabbing him as he fights. They drag him. Uh, they drag him, throwing him into a padded room. John runs back to the door. Oh, I love it. He's like, "Sorry about the balls," uh, shouting <laughs> that, it was, that it is uh, that it's that this is wrong, apologizing for kicking one of the workers, screaming for uh, for them to wait as they walk or limp rather past uh, Saperstein. John is screaming that he's not insane, while the other patients scream in unison about them also not being insane. Saperstein blocks the screams by turning up music throughout the facility as the music is playing over the speakers john is staring around and all the patients start to sing along to the song john drops down to the floor then the music starts drowning out and the lights are flickering confused for a moment then someone knocks on the door to gather his attention he gets up but nobody is there a shadow is walking behind him john notices turning around asking if if this is a rotten way to end it the shadow booms its its voice letting him know that this isn't the end saying that he hasn't read it yet quote unquote a montage accompanied with manic laughter plays throughout as wild images of creatures and murder play through i love this oh just right yeah. off the bat like you get this wild sense of all these crazy antics and we get glimpses of what we're getting ourselves into like For when sure. they do these flashes of these montages and this whole entire scene there's so many like great imagery that we see especially with like the shadow figure in the back oh, it, it's shot so well where it's, it's like it just zooms on his face through like the the window on the door and you just see the background and you just see this figure move and then you see what happens next i'm like i'm in this movie is fantastic and i do have to say something for sam neill I liked his performance in this better than Jurassic Park. 100%. I'm going to put that out there. 100%. I don't care. Have you, okay, he's have charismatic you, in that movie, but he's great in this oh, movie. He's fucking fantastic. He's bananas in this movie. Have you guys seen... Um, oh, my God. People are going to fucking destroy my life right now that I cannot think of this movie. They will. Uh, From that was <laughs> Sam Neill in? It's, it's Sam Neill's in it. It's also uh, Lawrence Fishburne. People are yelling their fucking lungs out right now. <laughs> Keep yelling. We might need to be able to hear you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In the... <laughs> Sometime in the future. <laughs> um, while you're looking that up, Freddie, it, it's uh, it's a movie in space, um, but it is bonkers too. Um, but anyway, I wanted to add. I yeah. love the flash sequence of images when a yeah. when some a story opens up like that because it literally has me wondering, like, whoa, how are we going to get there from yeah. where we're at now? And it excites me right Event off the horizon bat. is the movie. Right. Sorry. Oh. I thought that was the term of what I was describing. I was no. like, whoa, that makes sense. <laughs> That's the term of the event horizon. No, sorry. Like, what's over the horizon? Um, the event. But yeah, it's, 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 I'm a sucker for that. Uh, like, the flash sequence of images, and it's just like, what? what? This doesn't make any sense. Like, what's going to happen? Yeah. Um, but yeah, you guys know me. It, I'm already asking questions, so I'm already in. Good. I want answers. Keep asking those questions because we're going to answer them. <laughs> Maybe. An arm crashes through John's glass on his door, causing him to fall to the ground, but no shattered glass around him. All of it was in his head. Cut to Saperstein meeting up with Dr. Doctor uh, Ren. I wrote doctor twice, but I wrote like D-O-C-T-O-R and then I put dr doctor 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 ren uh ren begins um, asking questions about john's arrival but saperstein questions how he arrived so quickly saperstein then asks if he thinks john is quote-unquote one of them which we find out later what them is uh ren tells him that um that's what he's there to find out they are at the door saperstein opening opening it while telling him that john asked for a single black crayon john is drawing all these crosses and symbols over the padded room 
while they come inside. Saperstein places a chair down uh, for Ren, closing the door behind him when he leaves. Ren calls out to John. He calls... Uh, he tells Ren to hang on a moment as he continues drawing on the wall. He turns around, Ren introducing himself, letting him know that he's going to try to get John out of there. John chuckles, mentioning that he will stay, letting him know that he changed his mind. Ren compliments the crosses, adding that this will allow him to uh, to stay there. Um, John asks for a cigarette, eagerly awaiting uh, the smoke as lightning as lightning strikes. I love how like he like this is his motion to kind of keep him grounded mm. the cigarette right. like i that's what i picture the cigarette being a symbol a symbolism of because there was a ton of moments where he would pull the cigarette out and he couldn't light it it's <laughs> interesting you say that because after watching this film i could imagine it being written in novel form right mm-hmm. like john takes his cigarette out once again attempting to calm himself and ground himself yeah that's true yeah Yeah, like like it it, it it translates well and that's what it feels like because there's a bunch of moments where he's like frantically trying to light this fucking cigarette Mm -hmm. in the most obscene situations that he's put in and like it it it, and sometimes he can't yeah sometimes he can sometimes he can't so it's super fascinating ren lights the cigarette while john asks him if he's waiting to hear about um about them calling himself schizophrenic Ren asking how uh, asking him how he got there. John confidently t- um, asks him if he if things are turning out uh, turning out to shit outside. Ren bringing the attention back on him. John agrees, sharing that he was an insurance investigator. And I love the fact that he's a fucking insurance investigator. Right. It just like he's out here sense. serving people and shit. And you're just like that's the best concept for this. And <laughs> like this is the type of person you would think wouldn't fall into some shit like this. Like he's not a cop. He's not a detective. He's yeah. an exactly. insurance investigator. But at the same time, he has the assets and skills to be that type of person in right. that role. And it kind of fits perfectly. He's like, I don't really belong in this situation, but I found myself exactly. in it. And I kind of have the skills to figure stuff out. Yeah. And, and it, they showed that later in another scene that's about to happen, oh, too. Yeah. And it's and, great. Yeah, and it sets up the reason for him to be a skeptic. Exactly. Right. Saying that he was working for a firm uh, in the city about the Sutter Kane disappearance. Cut to John lighting a cigarette for uh, for the student man, Mr. Paul, while his colleague Robinson sits in the other chair. Robinson questions how long um, he has to be uh, he has to be there. John sharing that he'll be out that he'll be out in just a moment. He starts explaining he starts explaining that Robinson hired him. John claiming that Paul was the one that burned down his own warehouse. Paul is offended, claiming that his stuff was in there. Paul tells him that uh, that he's late, needing um, to pick up his wife. John comments about his wife being a good lady, sharing that they met briefly when he went to check up on his story, letting him know that they don't have photographs of his wife in those supposed burnt belongings, or that they do have photographs with his wife in the supposed burnt belongings. Robinson handing the photos to him, John continues handing him photos of another woman in the same belongings. And I love how confident, like, John is with this shit. He's like, you could tell, like, how good he is at his job. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that sold, that kind of cool sold back then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Super suave, confident. I got you. You can't trick me. (laughs) Robinson is speaking with John as a bus stops in front of in front reading Sutter Canes in the mouth of madness. You'll go mad with fear. End quote. They are in a diner speaking about John figuring out their these cons. Meanwhile, a man holding an axe comes out of the store, slowly walking towards the diner uh, towards the two men. 
uh, men. Everyone is moving out, moving out of his way. Well, I mean, shit, can you blame him? Fucking dude's wielding an axe. He looks fucking deranged. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everyone is moving out of, out of his way while the man stares at them through the window as they talk about the Sutter Kane gone, about um, the Sutter Kane case gone missing. Uh, the axe wielding man smashes the window open. Everyone running out of the way. The man standing on the table asking John if he's read Sutter Kane. Confused, looking into his eyes, showcasing dual pupils and redness. I gotta say, I love the eyes. I loved it. I'm a sucker for eyes when they're just there's detail in (gasps) them. You know how Prince feels (laughs) about eyes in general. Yeah, I love eyes. eyes. God, but this looked really good, even for like the time it came out. Yeah, yeah, this is really really good. Yeah. Fuck, I didn't even think about that, Freddie, because (laughs) I I didn't have a moment. I was like. Yeah. Oh, that looks dated or whatever. Yeah, I was like, yeah, because it took me a moment. I'm like, his like when he was kind of a little further away. I was like, his eyes look, look a little weird. Right. Weird, it yeah. looked off. Like when you when they're far away, and it, it's beautiful because this is just fucking. This just contacts. That's awesome. Well, that, that's all they put. Like it's just contact lenses. But at the same time, it looks so fucking good. You said this movie came out ninety five. Ninety five. Damn. So over twenty five years, and that's I, the way it looks. Thought it was ninety four. Uh, this well, still over twenty five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I think uh, nope, February third, nineteen ninety five. Wow. Yeah, twenty six years old. Oh, I was about to say you're tw- you twenty six years old in ninety five. It's like what? no, uh, <laughs> you're like three. <laughs> <laughs> the, man, <Four. laughs> the man is, uh, is about to strike but is uh shot by the cops john catches his breath with a slight smile looking at robinson back home john is pouring a drink while watching the news talk about sutter kane the news is showing riots because of his books in the mouth of madness and the news anchor be, uh begging the question about when uh fiction becomes religion asking if his fans are dangerous john cracks a joke while throwing back the alcohol john is looking at Images of Sutter's monsters until a receptionist lets lets him know that Jackson Har- Harglow is uh, ready to see him. John goes inside. Jackson hanging up from an fr- hanging up from an upsetting phone call, then introducing himself to John. Jackson tells everyone to leave out uh, leave out while telling John to have a seat. A woman named Linda Stiles comes into the room, closing the door behind her. Jackson asks if he is familiar with his company Arcane. John tells him that he isn't. Linda stands behind him, asking him if he reads books. Jackson introduces her as uh, she walks over towards. Uh, towards Jackson. He continues letting John know that she is she is one of their best editors who has handled Sutter's work exclusively. John asks if Sutter is the author who writes the horror crap. <laughs> Get out. Linda's sticking up for Sutter, claiming that he is one of the most prolific authors, adding that she, uh, you uh, can forget about Stephen King. Get out. John <laughs> asks I actually love that line. Yeah, I, I really too, love that like, it's in the movie. Get the fuck out. Like, <laughs> at the same time, it's really good that they say that line too because it shows how big Sutter Kane yeah. is. I mean, again, it like, adds context. It, it does. And, and if you even think about Sutter Kane, Sutter Kane's name, right? right. Sutter Kane, Stephen King. Like, it, it, right. It's very similar. It obviously it's very on purpose. Much intended. Yeah, it's, it's obviously all on purpose, which and is why it was a fun nod to keep the meta ness. Well, for I feel sure, like. and it's not the first time they say something so crazy like this too, because they say at the very end, and we'll talk about it. It's like, oh yeah, more people have read my books than the Bible. 
Right. It's like, oh, damn. Yeah. That's nuts to think about. Yeah. But yeah. Which is probably very true for Stephen King. King. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> probably very true for Stephen King. Uh, John asks what happened to him while sparking another cigarette. Jackson shares the shutter disappeared, uh, uh, that shutter disappeared two months ago. John continues his interrogation, asking who was the last person to hear from him. Jackson letting him know that his agent being sent several chapters of his new book with no return address. Linda starts coughing from the smoke of the cigarette motioning John to put it out um, in her Sutter Kane mug. And I fucking love this. Yeah, it's a funny because moment. if you go with the symbolism of that being what grounds him, mm. this broke his reality because she was never real. Wow. You just schooled me for the first time. And this, this is, what, this <laughs> is why true. I came here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like that's, that's why I picture the cigarette being the sense of keeping him grounded because that broke his reality and putting in putting the cigarette out in the Sutter Kane mug, he could never light the cigarette when he was in the presence of Sutter Kane. It's very interesting too because when Styles walks up behind uh Trent, I saw it as very deliberate of I'm gonna walk over deliberately, get very close to you, show my discomfort of the cigarette so you would feel obligated to put it out. Right. Wow. Uh. So interesting. He obliges, turning his attention back to Jackson, asking about the agent that, uh, that, Oh, excuse me, asking about the agent had to, uh, had to say about it. Jackson tells John that he heard what he said. Confused, John asks, what's he talking about? Jackson, Jackson reminds him that he was the man that went crazy in Midtown Manhattan. John asks for clarification. They agree. He jokes about it, but they don't find the humor. Um, Linda excusing herself. He goes up to Linda, whispering that it was a joke, and it kind of felt like he knew her when he did that because right. like, it, it, it felt like obviously there was zero con- consent there for him to go behind her that close and whisper in her ear like you just met her five minutes ago but i don't know I, this reminds me of halloween three you know how very oh, quickly sure. it's just like yeah a lot of sexual attention and it feels forced as far as context of the film uh, that's true but also i think you know at, at the time uh that was depicted as uh manly like kind of aggressively getting in a woman's bu- uh, bubble and like flirting with her like that. So yeah. I think it's a product of the time right. too. Which is not okay. No, but, no, definitely not okay. <laughs> and Halloween 3 didn't handle that well at all too. No. In Halloween they handled it pretty well. Like you could tell like Laurie Halloween. Strode. Oh Halloween, yeah, the yeah, original. Yeah, 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 Laurie Strode was definitely like a very, like she was a, a flower. Right, yeah. like she was definitely a flower. Um, she tells him. She tells him that they aren't in the mood while walking while walking him out of the office, sharing Kane's fortune for the company. John questions the book that they can't find, adding that this is a this is this must be a great publicity stunt. Um, Linda tells him that Kane's Kane's less stable readers have an effect from his writings. He questions that. She tells him. She tells him, "quote Disorientation, memory loss, severe paranoid reactions." End quote. He jokes about people pl- uh, paying money for stuff like that. She stops him, letting him know that they need him. He flirtatiously agrees, asking for him, asking, for, um, asking for him and her to get together to look through their through the files. She smirks, disagreeing while calling the elevator. Good on you, John. Asking to see his contracts, um, she claims that it is it is impossible because everything went through this agent or went through his agent, adding that they don't know where Kane lives she tells him that kane uh kane's work uh became more erratic a year before he disappeared continuing that it became convinced that he became convinced that his writings were was real nonfiction, and then the work stopped coming uh 
Can you imagine that? Like you're writing fiction and then all of a sudden you believe the work that you're writing. Right. That's scary. Yeah, especially when you're Terrifying. writing horror. Yeah, that's but fucking scary. I, I wouldn't be surprised how often that could happen, right? Because when you have to, at least if you are proficient in writing in horror, because you have to dive in so, so much into that mindset that you start becoming it. Because I know writers um, tend to believe that the characters they create and write are real people. Right. Right. So because they have to have that mindset that they are real to tell the story as well as they can. Exactly. And we've seen this in several movies, even like recently too, in a way where like writers will always go mad or they always go a little yeah. crazy. Uh we see that with Scare Me last year in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh we also see that in the movie Rear Window, and obviously obviously that's based on the book as well. And we, we get a lot of these stories of writers just going mad. And the shining. It, it's one of those, uh, there you go. Yeah, that's a huge one. Yeah. And it's one of those things like I'm okay with seeing that story over and over again as long as you tell it in a very unique way, which this movie obviously does. Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. And then you kind of hit every mark in the head for me as a fan of like horror movies that I love already. Yeah. And also even like a horror game where I didn't even think about this game for such a long time. And I'm like, this is very Alan Wake and I fucking love it. It's fantastic. Adding that she needs to know if he's alive and needing the book. John sarcastically asks if this shit really sells while the elevator opens, morbidly joking about it all being fucked. Linda suggests that he should read some of Kane's stuff. John asking asking her if if uh, they have any on tape as the door closes. You're way ahead of the times here. Cut to John walking home, stopping at, at a Kane poster. He peels a piece back that hears, and then he hears people fighting. And I love how like he peels that piece back and like he comes to it multiple times, right. peeling that little piece back. And then we figure out why later. But I love that they don't show us too. Oh, yeah. So good. It's fucking fantastic. I just love how it's repeated because it it feels dreamlike. Yeah. You know, yeah. And I'm sure that's very intentional, but like I feel like a lot of people dream in that same way. Where they'll come back to something and they're so curious about it, but they never really find out what they're looking at. Yeah. I, I just think it's translated well. I, I agree. He goes over to check it out, seeing a cop beating a pedestrian, then walking. He was beating the fucking shit I know, shit dude. I was here. like, <laughs> God damn. I don't know yeah. if I can watch this. Yeah, fuck. John is, John is at home on the phone with Robinson, letting him know that the Sutter case is a scam. He shares that this is a mass hysteria that, um, that it will pass. We are with John at a destroyed bookstore and the radio talking about the continued riots that are sweeping the nation. He goes he goes up to, the untu- to an untouched... Excuse me. An untouched Sutter Kane section, picking up a couple of books. A teenager with taped glasses and scrapes on his face comes up towards him. He oddly tells tells John that he can see, claiming that he can see him. Weirded out, John is walking away, telling him to say hi to uh, to him, whoever him is. Um, John is is back home about about halfway uh, through Kane's books, um, startled by his phone ringing. Must have been pretty scary. It is Robinson. He tells him that he is reading Kane's books while rubbing his eyes. John stares at the uh, stares that the stories sort of get to you in some way, blaming it on the style of his writing. Transition to John sparking another cigarette and going back to the book. He flashes back at the, at the Kane poster, hearing the sound of the fighting of the fighting again. He goes over to to check on it. The spray paint uh, the spray painted on the wall saying "Can see." The cop drops the guy, looks back at John with a mangled face. John wakes up, then continues reading the book. He jumps back into the dream, a group of axe-wielding people behind him. The cop looks back at him, John trying to walk away, but is confronted by the mob. 
Kane's agent included. He slowly moves backwards, uh, looking back at the cop, then Kane's agent telling John that he sees you. Confused, the mob of people circle the agent, then start hacking him and consuming his flesh. John wakes up before being struck from the mangled cop. And this is just total fucking Jacob's Ladder vibes. I literally <laughs> was about to say that. I literally was about to say that. Damn, Prince. I'm glad you called it. It's 100% that. Yeah. This is total Jacob's Ladder vibes. Yeah. It's so fantastic. Did you just look it up? Yeah. <laughs> like, That's so funny. Right when I hit enter, you said, yep, Jacob's Ladder. <laughs> it, it, just, it, it just gives you completely all of that. Just like the mind, the mind fuckery of everything behind it, I feel like. It's just it's all it's all through here. John wakes up in a panic, and right before he gets up, he is startled by the same cop. He wakes up for the first real uh, for the real time. This time. He wakes up for real this time, throwing the book across the room, panting. Shit, I would probably done the same thing. But it's funny that he even thought that like the book caused this nightmare. I'm gonna get it away right. from me as far as I possibly can. And it's, it's interesting because I feel like that's how probably most, not most. Probably a good chunk. I would say general America or general movie watchers probably view horror is just like, oh, I was so petrified. Get that movie away from me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like I never right. want to watch you it relate again. it back to that. Exactly. Yeah. And they already set up in the movie itself. Like, oh, yeah, people are having some side effects of reading this. Yes, it's happening to me now that I'm reading right. this story. She was right. It's right. getting to me. I mean, get this book out of my face. Now that I even think about it, this has nothing to do with what we were just saying. But now that I think about like the rating <laughs> of this movie. Um. It, it, it's interesting that this movie was rated so low, but we have to also think about what movies were out during the nineties, right? I mean, you you were that that was the the slasher boom, like that was yeah. the resurgence of the slasher boom. Like everyone wanted to see slashers at this point in That's time. That's a really good point. Like yeah. a year later, you got Wes Craven's Scream right after this. Yeah. So Hell yeah, Hell like yeah, it was. It, and two Hell years yeah, prior brother. to this, or three years prior to this, you had Candyman. So it's just like this. This movie did come at a really unfortunate time, which I feel like, unfortunately, most Carpenter films do, right. um, which sucks because they're so fucking prolific. But it, it's just I just think that's what it is. It's just like it, it, wrong place, wrong time, because Carpenter's mind was just fucking light years beyond the most filmmakers in my opinion i feel like this is a film where um if people are experiencing it for the first time in like 2021 just like how freddie had a really great experience watching it i think they will or they maybe have heard about it and maybe didn't hear the greatest things um i think a lot of people could retroactively change their opinion on that and i feel like that can happen with a lot of forms of media like initially during its release you know it gets not the best praise, but through time um, and through a look back, it gets more credit than it than it was received back then. So mm-hmm. sometimes that could that could be great because it's kind of like a a time capsule movie, in my opinion. Yeah, that's you know? true. I feel like it totally fits that genre. Yeah, it's like this is a film that was lost in history, but when you find it again now, you will appreciate it. Because forgive me if I'm wrong, but. I don't know if this movie has a cult following or anything, but like I said, I've never heard of this movie and I'm shocked by that. I haven't either. And I felt embarrassed by not knowing that. It's like, Oh, Should everyone be. in the horror. <laughs> I'm, no, I, I, I'm I the horror virgin. <laughs> I, I feel like in the horror community, this movie would be talked about a lot. 
and I haven't. But they, I feel like maybe people do, and I'm just yeah, not a yeah, part yeah. of that. No, no, but no, no. like people do, but like like yeah. this is a sector, right? Like I mean, this is cosmic horror. Like cosmic sure. horror is the most misunderstood of probably all of horror genres right. in general. Because and that's it's, also probably why I got low ratings. Probably, yeah, yeah. yeah I think like, that's a huge chunk of it. I mean, cosmic horror never truly gets large ratings unless it's fucking it. Like yeah, true, it, true. It, yeah. but it you is can, so on the surface. Yeah, because you can disregard. I mean, for the general mainstream audience, you, you could probably just to, disregard all the cosmic horror right. aspects of it and just watch it. For or you a, don't even classify cosmic horror because, yeah, to you, nothing cosmic is happening. Exactly, there aren't exactly. Anything coming from space, even though it came from space. But yeah, right. Whatever. It came from space. <laughs> <laughs> he starts writing some notes, wiping his eyes, smearing ink on his cheek. He questions where Kane went while looking down at the co- covers of his book. He has a realization and starts to rip and cut the covers off the book. Once cut, John puzzles the pieces together, creating a map. The next day, John is explaining to Linda and Jackson of his findings, sharing that they that they place him right in the middle of New England. Linda questions if Kane went somewhere fictional, John letting her know that he is in fact in New Hampshire. J- uh, Jackson co- uh, comments that it uh, it isn't on, on the map, John shares that it it blah 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 blah. John shares that it isn't in any new maps, but potentially older ones. Jackson and Linda aren't convinced. John letting them know that he will have to go for sure, asking if they are if they are sure they want him to go. He doesn't allow them to answer, calling all of this bullshit. But he humors them. Jackson claims that they don't have anything to hide, sharing that they just want what's theirs. He continues that he would like Linda to accompany him, and. Sucks that she was voluntold, but I she's voluntold. Right? So two things here. Uh, I, I really thought Jackson said blah 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 when he said it like that. <laughs> he did. You didn't see that part. <laughs> and then um, two, the moment where uh, John is kind of getting the scraps of the cover and making a map and and bringing it to Styles and Jackson. For some reason, that portion of the film felt the most Candyman to me and I can't explain why. I think it's because of what was cut out because it was like that red thing and stuff like it was like a red linear uh, like layout yeah Yeah. the layout of it looked probably very much like the Candyman when you walk through his mouth right inside of that. That's a good point. It's like a big symbol of like a secret being told right now. Yeah but also I think the moment (laughs) where Trent is like wait a minute and then he starts ripping up the the covers for some reason that point uh, for I keep forgetting um, our main protagonist in Candyman. What's her name? Oh, um, Helen. Helen, thank you. Yeah, I don't know why. That just reminded me of Helen. I guess it's the... They're both just trying to uh, figure something out. They're trying to solve right, something. And, and they're Yeah, and they're very intelligent yeah. and kind of out of the box thinking... Um, seems similar to me. Yeah. yeah, I totally thought they were gonna, or what he was gonna do was rip it up and see if the title made a sentence of something. And it was like, it's a map. I'm like, okay, that works too. I, I was, was just like, that. damn, how did you see that? Yeah, I was like, you're a smart <laughs> dude. But yeah, I'll yeah. take it. John agrees with the smirk. Cut to John driving while Linda is asleep and he is singing America the Beautiful. He stops looking at her for a moment, then opening his glove compartment, taking out a horn, startling her awake by honking it. She assaults him with a pack of snacks. Don't ruin those snacks. John sharing that they they are, are lost. Linda agrees because she believes there's no place like Ho- no place um, that is Hobbs end. John telling her that they will see. 
They continue driving in the night, John asking if she enjoys working for Kane's books. She returns the questions back to him about his job, him sharing that he does. They um, have a brief conversation about John's um, concept of his work. She cracks a joke about him sounding like Kane. He chuckles, calling her, um, her the Kane lover. Linda explains that his work scares her, and she enjoys that. John asks, what is, it, uh, what is there to be scared about, claiming that it isn't real? She tells him, quote, it's not real from your point of view. Reality shares your point of view. What scares me about Kane's work is what might happen if reality shared his point of view. End quote. What a fucking line. He says that they aren't uh, talking about reality, calling it fiction. She argues, quote, a reality is just what we tell each other. Uh, Kane... It, Blah blah, <laughs> I messed that up. I'm gonna I'm gonna re- say that. A reality is just what we tell each other. Um, sane and insane could easily switch places if the insane were to become the majority. You would find yourself locked in a padded cell, wondering what happened to the world. <sighs> what a fucking chilling like Just the way she talks, yeah, is very much like a written character. Yeah, I was about to say yeah, that. Exactly. It's also very like storytelling esque as well. Exactly. Like she's writing the story of this story. Basically, feels like that. Yeah, definitely feels like that. That's how her story. I mean, that's how her character was also written. Which right, is great. John claims that wouldn't happen to him, but she argues, "quote It would if you realized everything you ever knew was gone. That would be pretty lonely, being the last one left." End quote. Linda is now in the driver's seat while John is asleep in the passenger. She notices someone right. Who the fuck was driving the car if she was asleep, if she's not real? But anyway, this is all in his head, so it's probably none of this is real. I don't know. That's my, that's my theory. Linda <laughs> is now in the, in the driver's seat while John is asleep in the passenger. She notices someone riding their bike in the dark. She's confused by the bicyclist. Passing him by, she looks at a scared-looking teenager pedaling quickly with cards in his spokes. She looks in the rear view, the kid consumed by the red brake lights. Continuing down the road, she sees the same bike, but this time an old man dressed as the teenager is riding in the opposite direction. It startles her, slightly waking John, um, dismissing her in what she saw. She takes a look at the map, looking, looking up and hitting the old, cloudy-eyed man on the bike. Fuck! I love this! So good. It's yeah. so odd. I think it's, it was shot well. Too. Yes. It's so right. it's fucking perfect. Another uh, reference I got from this was Psycho. I don't know if you guys oh, seen that recently, yeah. but like when he's driving through the rain and you get sure. these awesome shots. Yeah. And the lighting's really good too because the darkness Beautiful. surrounds the entire car and the only lights on them, the characters. And then the only thing they see within the darkness are those characters riding the bike. And it just works so well mm-hmm. because it just engulfs you in this darkness and like eeriness and yeah. the vibe and the score is so good. Bring me the ears. Ugh. It's fucking fantastic. Turning around, they both rush out of the car to check on him. The man has a young voice saying that he can't get out and, the, and that he won't let him out. Linda gets up and noticing the clanking of a windmill, she gets up, looks behind her, noticing the old man getting on his bike with the smirk as he rides away. John runs back over, asking about him, then telling her uh, go while assisting her back towards the car. Linda continues driving while John sleeps. The road turns pitch black, Linda not being able to see anything in front, of, in front behind, or below her. 
Lightning starts to erupt beneath the car, realizing that they are driving in the sky. The car lands on a wooden ground, lights flashing all around her, causing her to get disoriented. She finally makes it out, and is and it was a bridge that they were passing through, and it is now daylight. Linda stops the car, looking back confused and moaning about what just happened. John wakes up, commenting that he can't believe that he slept through the night, thanking her for driving. She looks over to at a sign that says, quote, Welcome to Hobbs Inn, the heart of New Hampshire, end quote. John congratulates her for finding it, but she stares at him, demanding that he takes over. John drives through, I don't blame her, John drives <laughs> through the Tesla in an empty town, parking on the main street. Um, out of the car, they inspect their surrounding. John looks inside of a shop, cur- criticizing the antiques. Fuck you. Why are you going to do that about that place, man? Damn, yeah, we're also, so hard yeah, to get yeah, that stuff. Like, <laughs> like, why are these things manufactured? <laughs> Fuck you. A dog runs out to, to the street, catching Linda's attention, and then all of these children are running down the street after it. She calls over John. She calls over to John to look, asking if he sees the children, but he doesn't. It isn't. It, it is time to go, leaving us with an image of a bloody axe stuck inside of a picket fence. Good uh, rack zoom there. So beautiful. Yeah. yeah, it was beautiful. The continued drive. They continue driving up to uh, to the Pikmin Hotel. John asks about how she knew about this hotel since she has never um, been here before. She reminds him that they both read about this place, explaining that the hotel once was in the book. John remembers opening the door and them going to the front desk. While John is talking, she cuts she cuts him off to mention that a painting that should be behind them. There is. John going up to it, Linda warning him about a loose board. She rings the bell for the hotel clerk, Mrs. Pickman. Pickman comes out with a warm smile, greeting the two. John requests a room, commenting about her um, her town being famous. She is confused. Um, he mentions Shutter Kane, but she is still confused. Linda looks at the painting, and it has changed, her moving closer to John. And it's funny because she gets scared that the painting's changed, but she never looked at the painting to begin with to even know that it changed. Really? Yeah. I her thought back, she did. No, yeah. her back was turned. I thought she did turned she around say? for a second, but I guess not. Because uh, John went to the painting. Right. And then she turned around to look at the painting, and it changed for us, but she was the one who was startled. Oh. So I, I think... Uh, I thought that was the error, but, maybe? Uh, it was like uh, an editing I, choice I didn't even where think she... it was an editing error. I just think it was the way it was chosen the shot. Is it, just, is it weird to say that I feel like moving photos is very much spoopy 90s? Oh, 100%. Oh, That's yeah. kind of like Goosebumps. Yeah, exactly. And, fucking, okay. and it's funny because this movie plays very much like a Goosebumps. <laughs> exactly. That's the other vibe goosebumps. I got from this. Yeah. I totally forgot about it. But yeah. yeah, this is very much a Goosebumps story. It's, it's cool, too, because those are also books that are also yeah. a TV show that happened later on. And it actually feels like you're reading a book, but seeing it in live action. Shout out so, to yeah. the shout out to the Choose Your Own Adventure Goosebumps books. Oh, the holographic uh, covers. Ooh. Fire. Pikmin comments that she doesn't know who uh, who he's speaking of. Linda looking back at the painting and it looking back at her. Frightened, she grabs onto John. Cut to them speaking in the in the same in their room about what Linda saw. John disclaiming that uh, they aren't living in Kane's story. She throws the book on the bed, commenting that they are they are all in there. John reminds her that Pikmin brutally murders her husband in the book, calling their Pikmin sweet and not capable. Linda suggests that Kane's work might not be fiction. Uh, might not be fiction. He is fed up, knocking on the dresser, um, arguing that they are in reality. He humors her, mentioning that that there being a church outside, him going to the window showing that there isn't. Linda tells him that he didn't read close enough, letting him know that it's actually on the east view. She moves the curtain, showing off the Byzantine, the Byzantine uh, church. Now he's confused. 
John and Linda are walking towards the church as he as um, she as excuse me as he reads from Cain's book. Quote: This place had once been the seat of an evil older of an evil older than mankind and wider than the known universe. It was place of it was a place of pain and suffering beyond human understanding. Originally, there was an old stone church built on the site in 1788, but the black church swallowed up the old sanctuary the, the way it had swallowed our minds. Now there is nothing left, but what was once here, except the mosaic of our Lord and Savior above the front door. End quote. He continues reading, but I don't write it down. Linda is spotting the same <laughs> shepherd running, <laughs> running in the field towards the church with the children chasing the animal. He tries for the door, but locked, looking at the massive structure above. Now, this is very fascinating. This church, first and foremost, is fucking beautiful. Oh, gorgeous architecture for this. This is a beautiful looking church. I would yeah. totally go there. <laughs> <laughs> like that, that is a really it, like legit though. It, it is a nice church, but it's very haunting of oh, how yeah. it looks because it's not it, even though they say it's black inside the movie, like it's not really truly black. It's like right. these these lighter gray overtones with like black um, I guess tops domes. with kind of like domes, golden, yeah. yeah, domes, yeah, golden tips. with like golden onion ring like tips on top of it. I don't know what to call them. They're, they look like onions. <laughs> <Right, yeah. laughs> I do have to say, like this whole entire scene where they're inside like the hotel room, I loved too, or just the scene where they enter the hotel room because, or just the uh, the hotel in general. Because she's calling out all of the small details from the book, and they're actually oh, yeah, real. Call out. Yep, they really like grabbed my attention in this movie during that scene. I was like, "Oh, this is so dope!" I'm like, I was, I was like shaking with like happiness while watching this movie, and I loved it. Yeah. I was like, "Oh yeah, this is really cool." I think I, that, uncontrollably shake of happiness all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I think that moment, and just like we just said, when that moment arrived in the episode, uh, did feel very goosebumpsy. Yeah, you know, because mm-hmm. like. The way she's describing it as if she's memorized that part of the book. And yeah. The, the creaky floorboard got me. Yeah. That, was, that was like, oh, the small yeah, that, detail. That was great. Like, that's, yeah. Yeah, that this was is really awesome. from the book. It's cool because the movie preps you, right? Because at first they're outside and they and she said, this is the the green room or like the windowed room outside. And she's like, there were things growing here that people said were like tentacles. And yeah. it, it kind of makes you question because I watched that scene like three times because I was like, wait, what is she talking about? Yeah. And then you go in and then the creaky floorboard and then the painting. Uh, and I think she also speaks about uh, Mrs. Pickman, right? Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then it's like, we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. It makes it, it makes a lot of effort to make sure that everyone that's watching this picks up what's happening here, right? Mm -hmm. Like at this point, they want it to be inclusive that everyone understands what's going on. And I think it does it very well with its pacing and it doesn't it doesn't force itself um by telling you what's going on and actually i think you guys actually answered my own gripe um by explaining that because it it it, if she is kind of recalculating the book then that picture is probably very much explained and detailed how it looks 
in the books. So, yeah. And it probably didn't right. look the way it was explained. She didn't. She, she didn't look at the painting. Right. But she but knew what she it was supposed to look like. Yeah, and what it was doing. Right. Yeah. So. I think they do such a good job in this movie, too, of having John being in the hotel rooms like, no, there should be a church outside. And they show us a place where the church isn't. And then it brings you back. It's like, no, you didn't pay attention. If you really it's read all the, the book, East view. it's the East view. And then it, it's that details like, no. it's like, OK, who's right? Who's wrong? And then yeah. you realize, like, no, she's right with everything and it's not corny either like it's a no. good moment it's like right. you can kind of chuckle internally but at the same time you're like oh fuck yeah, it's like, like this is real is yeah. all of it's real oh god it's real linda shares all the of meaning it. of the title of the tiles being the representation of the battle of heaven john looks at his watch considering that they are wasting their their time not asking about cain cars are speeding towards the church linda forcing john off the steps of the church a man gets out of his uh, out of his car screaming for cain firing his gun into the sky asking for his son back john John stops to see what is going going to happen next. The doors to the church open um, on on their own. The man's son Johnny standing up, standing blank face, staring at the crowd. The man calls for his son. The door swinging open and close. Lightning surrounding surrounding inside the church. The door opens once again. Cain standing where the boy once stood. Dogs dogs come charging at at the crowd of people as the doors up to the church close. That's. So I, would, I mean, I would be fucking terrified of all that, those yeah. like Doberman pincers came out. Just like, what do I? I think like run. so many of them too. Like, like, it's like it starts with three, and it's like three million. The dogs catches up to some of the people as they are trying to flee, J- biting the shit out of them. Yeah. John and Linda rushing into their car. A little girl that. Made Bella not be able to go to the bathroom. Sorry. Um, <laughs> or did with, it? Uh, or did it? With bumps and boils on her face, standing behind them monotonically, saying, "I see." I love how he looks through the people to kind right. of like s- pretty much stick with John this whole time. I love it. They are back at the hotel. John is yelling at Linda about how she knew about the mob, claiming that this has to be staged. She tells he tells them that he is wrong, but he's also half right. Sharing that this was supposed to be a publicity stunt, but Kane never showed up, claiming that Jackson sent her to make it look good, but they weren't supposed to find anything. She continues saying that she knew she knew because of the new book and that nobody knew that um, that was that was in it except for her and Kane's agent. John sighs in agreement, asking about the new book. She tells him that it is about the end of everything that starts there in Hobbes End, st- um, starting with the children, people turning into creatures. It's interesting because it's like the end of everything. Right. Like, That's she doesn't necessarily so like the end of his book, the end of his series or anything, like the literal end of everything. And that is just so fascinating to me. Sets so the stakes. It does. He calls it fiction. But she mentions that they need to read the new book to find the way out, suggesting that they can just skip straight to the end. John hopes that she is making this up. She caresses his cheek, trying to kiss him. Weird. Uh, Pleading for him to not make her do this alone. Now, this is interesting when she, like, makes the move. Yeah. Because she knows that, like, one, he's also attracted to her. Yeah. But on top of that being attraction, like, that, to me, breaks his mindset of, like, okay, this... Maybe this isn't reality because why would she do this? Like, because he was totally weirded out about it. He did not want her to do that. Yeah, at because that moment because I believe her character's intention was to seduce him to helping her. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Do you feel that way, Prince? 
Uh, yeah, I think, okay. I also think that she got what she wanted because she wanted him to leave those keys. Yeah, but I think this is ultimately, and we'll get into it later, but like Kane's plan. And I also think it's... Um, I think everything went as Kane's plan. Yeah, of course. But like, I, I think everything we're watching is completely how Kane wanted it to be. Yeah, I agree <laughs> with you. But I also think uh, Styles and her behavior and the sexual attention is um, more so of a reflection of a male writing a woman's character um, sure. and you know i it it just feels because she sometimes feels randomly over sexualized like the she's yeah, for depic- like no reason yeah for no reason like if it's very forced it's very halloween three like we spoke mm-hmm, about yeah. that like reminds the, me very much of like hellraiser in some aspects too the woman well, is yeah the <laughs> woman is there to it be desired and looked at right and i feel like styles is like i said forcibly put in that light and i feel like in this situation kane writes her in a way of you know styles needing desperate for help knows that she can seduce trent to uh be on her side and help her and stay and ultimately maybe they'll fall in love right i think that's where it was going which is interesting because it also like she's she's not like dressed like with sex appeal or anything yeah. like that. Right? No, like she's yeah. in a pantsuit. Yeah. Right. So like she she's not like dressed like up to up the nines or anything like that. Um for seduction, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it, it is it is very fascinating on how her character is written. Yeah, but I think that's also and like still a reflection of a male writing a, a woman's character. And again, I'm you know clearly obviously I'm not a woman, right? Yeah. Um but so I can't really speak on that. But last I checked. I mean, last, 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 you checked, but like I see, like a don't worry about it, a male. <laughs> I see a male writer, uh, who is proficient in writing, writing a woman, uh, character as like, you know, she's a, um, a career focused woman that right. puts her career first and and doesn't uh need a man and. Her, oh, you know, man. her dress her dress attire reflects that, but then she somehow finds herself losing herself to John Trent. You know, like a novelist writing it that that's way. Interesting. So if it's yeah, I think you nailed story. it on there because obviously we see that this is all being controlled. All of the yeah. events, all of the sequences are being controlled by Sutter essentially. And he has her. He has her try to kiss him again. Right. So yeah. like, and that's the thing is like we see a character who drives the plot further. And gets to where the main character needs to go and have that companion piece, but also has that uh, seduction pieces inside the story as well to keep the readers interested, right? To keep the viewer interested for the movie in a way, too, because this is uh, I love this movie because it's wild how it's structured. It's kind of like a book within a movie within a movie yeah. in a movie. <laughs> and, and it has you thinking about a book and how a book would be written yeah. when you're watching the movie. Yeah, that's true. So it's very much the whole entire movie that we're watching as the viewer. It's just the story that we see that's written in the book meant for a movie within yeah. that same reality, True. which is crazy. But that's that's her character. That's what she yeah. was written for. Do you do you guys think I'm crazy for yes um, thinking this? <laughs> I think Styles was a real person initially, and I think I thought so too. With you know, I, I believe it's an old one controlling Sutter Kane. I think gives him godly powers to shift reality to make to control her to write her her path and her purpose. 
and then write her out, just like um, Trent says later. Uh, well, I'll get back to that. Okay. okay. I'll, I'll get back to that. I have that same mindset. I had that same mindset. Yeah, I okay, thought okay. she was real the entire time. And then Prince is like, oh, yeah, it's all in her imagination. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go along with it. That's probably <laughs> yeah. I, right. I, I have I have, I have, have theories. That's about what I that. love about these types of movies, yeah. though. Like, we could all have our own interpretation and right. uh, t- share our theories. Yeah. I I think, you know what? Let's save that qu- that question for Last. the post show. Okay. okay. Oh, yeah. Let's save that for the post show. Stay tuned. I think that I think that'll be really a pretty good one to chat about. He fights her off, asking if she is leaving with him, but no answer. He acknowledges, grabbing his things, but Linda takes the keys. John ends up downstairs, looking at the painting be- from before, seeing that it has changed. He goes up to the painting, inspecting it while sparking a cigarette, noticing the faces have been mutilated. Pickman startles John him not being allowed to light a cigarette, <laughs> telling him to not smoke because it bothers her husband. He ex- he apologizes, mentioning his uh, his admiration of the artwork, saying that Linda shared uh, that Pikmin painted... Um, um, shared that Pikmin painted it herself. She is confused by the name for a moment, then remembers who she is, claiming that she doesn't know her. Pikmin asks if Linda knows her, um, John saying that she claims that she does, then asking if she painted it. She tells him, hell no. <laughs> she, he compliments the hotel, then asks about Pikmin's appearance. She tells him that uh, she has been reading, groaning from the, uh, the uh, she has been reading. Groaning from underneath the desk interrupts them, Pikmin delicately kicking the groaning person to stop. John goes back to the desk, trying to see what she's hiding, but Linda runs past them. He chases after her, but she drives away. Meanwhile, Pikmin hushes her, um, hushes her husband, who is cuffed to her ankle, beaten and naked. Fuck. I'm into it. Cut to John walking the empty streets at night. You know, we don't kink shame. You know, do you think? Uh, cut to John walking the empty streets at night. Inside a bar, he is writing down the names of Jackson and Linda. Johnny, uh, Johnny's father, Simon, comes into the bar um, asking if he's a writer. John tells him no. Simon tells him to, uh, to leave this town. He tells Simon that he has been trying to, sarcastically complimenting them on their acting skills, quote-unquote. Simon ignores this, commenting that Kane has been uh, messing messing with the church, claiming that something leaked out, getting into their children, and passed it down to them. John asks if he can buy him a drink, but Simon continues with his warning. Meanwhile, Linda is is going to the church, a ball and a ball rolls over next to her. She picks it up. The crowd of mutilated children demonically ask for their ball back. Linda asks <sighs> what what that <laughs> Excuse me. Linda asks what they are and where do they come from. One says with her. She asks who takes care of them. They say she does. One of the sharp-toothed children claims that Linda um, is their mommy and today is mommy's day. Sorry, that is the moment where Bella freaked out. Oh, was it the eyes? Yeah. The close-up with the little girl and her teeth and her eyes. It's funny because she's like, it's close-up and it's great because it's super close-up. And like she's like looking up, and the camera slightly down towards yeah. like her chin on up. at an angle. It is so fucking perfect because it's uh, poor Bella. Yeah. <laughs> like she has to like relive yeah. this again. Like she's, she's right here, everyone. Like yeah. she could totally hear us, but she probably has headphones in. I don't blame her. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't want to hear our antics. Linda throws them the uh, the ball back and then walks back towards the church. John goes back to the hotel room, calling and searching for Linda, but um, she isn't there. This is where you actually see the number on the door, where it says nine. Linda is at the door of the church um, as she, um, 
a sign reading, quote, any who dare enters this unholy site be damned forever, end quote. She takes a deep breath, opening the door, entering the church, walking slowly through the torch-lit room with upside-down crosses presented throughout. She continues her trek towards a wooden door, placing her ear to it, but no sound. She opens it. The room only has a typewriter and some paper. She closes it. Moving towards another location inside the church, she turns back towards the door when she hears typing from the writer. She opens the door, Kane sitting there, typing away. Slightly going inside the room, a hand grabs her shoulder, door slamming shut and disappearing afterwards. It's so fucking cool. Kane starts typing, greeting Linda. He jokes that she can edit this story from his uh from the inside looking out, claiming that he thought sh- he thought he was uh making this up for years, but they were telling him what to write about. I love how he says the inside looking out. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I love how he says that. Because it's like, you're in this. Yeah. You're right. literally you, in you're the story. You're literally in the story. Yeah. And you have to edit this out to get out to the rest of the world. Yeah. And I, I fucking love that. I, I love like that, that line a lot too. Something is beyond a door that is breathing and growling him, saying that it, it uh, gave him the power to make it all real. He rips the paper of, of the writer... Excuse me. He rips the paper off the writer, gently placing it onto the, on the stack of papers, walking towards Linda. The creaking and rumbling continues. Linda seems to be in a hypnotic stupor. And this was what truly reminded me of Candyman right here, her hypnotic state. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, Virginia Madsen did that a little bit better. Kane <laughs> <laughs> uh, telling her to come see the instrument of, of the homecoming, calling it the new Bible. He pulls her hair back. Well, I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> he pulls her hair back. No shame on her. It was pretty. She was good. Virginia Madsen. <laughs> oh God. Um, calling it the new Bible, he pulls her hair back, continuing to t- uh, talk to her. He then slams her head forward, stopping it at the top of the pages. I thought he was about to slam the shit down right. in her head when I first saw yeah, yeah, that. Me too. <laughs> I was like, "Where's this going?" Like, and then he just stops. But. Something even crazier happens. Flashes of all this wild shit, this tentacles and fucking axes and people getting chopped. Yeah, it's getting erotic. It is getting crazy. She is pulled back, bloody tears trickling from her eyes as Kane asks if she she likes his ending, asking for any suggestions. She caresses his face, the sound of ripping with a creature attached to his back. Ew, she touched it. John tries for the phone, but it doesn't work. It was gross. It, like, looks it, so, it looks, it so, looks good. so cool. That's an yeah. old one, right? Was that again? Is that a, that's an old one, I don't correct? No, I don't think we see them. I thought that was one of them, and I, I thought so. it, that one attached to um, I think Kane. I think the old ones literally were all behind that door. Yeah, yeah I but, think that's like a messenger from them yeah. because he says like, "Oh, they tell me what to write and stuff yeah. like that." It's like that's his inside his head, like. Because, person essentially, yeah, but it's now it's being it's it, yeah, it's like the demon in his ear off his head, exactly. Yeah. So, as Styles had said on the car ride, um, you know, reality is just what the majority depicts as reality. And what I think this old one connected to Kane is, is like Freddie said, a messenger, right? Um, basically, one that can get through the door. And in his perspective, it feels like someone's behind his head attached to him, telling him what to write, exactly. And, and it's physically shown, and the reason why. Uh, this is so is because Kane has the ability to, I mean, because he says like more people read my books than, than the Bible, like we mentioned earlier. Right. Yes. So he has the power to shift reality. Um, and that is what's needed for the old ones to enter the world again. Right. So yeah. pretty much manifest in a way. Exactly. I agree. Um, 
I don't know what that thing is, but I that makes sense. What you guys Who knows? Are saying. I don't yeah. know cosmic. <laughs> cosmic horror. Uh, John tries for the phone, but it isn't. But it doesn't work. He looks into the room. St- um, that st- st- I wrote that wrong. He looks into the room, staring. Um, start startled. Um, by Linda jumping on his back. Linda is pleading for John's help, claiming that she is losing herself. He takes her back into the room, placing her on the on the bed. Her continuing asking for him not to look at the book, letting him know not to um not know uh, that she read it. She passes out. John leaves her out of the room. He rings the bell for Mrs. Pickman, then tries the front desk phone. The lights start to warp in and out. John looks at the painting, noticing that the two people have now turned into tentacle monsters. He notices the church in the distance in the painting as well placing the phone down calling pikmin a slur from his impatience he uh hears he hears yelling and screaming um he goes to explore the horrid sound pikmin has tentacles coming out of her chest and an axe that she is using to hack her husband i'm into it (laughs) john heads (laughs) into the basement spotting pikmin's new horrid form as she chops her husband he runs in he runs back into his room calling for linda telling her uh, that they are going now she is behind the bathroom door accompanied by sounds of growling and ripping through the frosted glass tentacles are ripping out of her whipping underneath the seal Linda comes out of the comes out of the bathroom with a smile, growling. John is thrown uh, through the door, and he gets the fuck out of there. While getting into his car, he sees Pixman's final final form, and he drives out of there. He stops his car when he when he sees the town folk formed in a circle around Linda. And the um, kids chanting that she is a dead girl. He calls out to her. A deformed woman with an axe runs past him, giving him a fuck you. When she walks past him. That was so weird to me. It was very odd. Yeah. It was very odd. Um, John moves into the bar. Simon um, now becoming deformed, questioning that he is still here. He comments that it is a busy night. John's still in denial. Simon humors him, saying that he can't remember if they if they or the book came first. John throws a glass, shouting that this isn't reality. Simon snickers that reality is not what it used to be, telling John to look at the hole in his face that Johnny and his sister did to him, saying it, um, saying that he is alone. He puts the barrel of the shotgun underneath his chin, John begging him not to, Simon commenting that he was wrote this way, then shoots himself. <sighs> Fuck. Intense. John goes back outside trying not to hurl, but it is short-lived when he notices the crowd is moving towards him. Linda punches Mm. him in the face, but he punches her ass right back, knocking her out (laughs) and placing her to his car. He tries to start the car, but Linda laughs, dangling the keys and swallowing them. He fights to get the keys out of her mouth and knocks her out again. He He starts the car with the screwdriver from his glove compartment, fleeing away from the armed mob. While they are driving, Linda wakes up, asking him if they are leaving she sounds hypnotized mentioning that he should he should have believed her then telling him that kane is writing her and he wants her to kiss him she goes in uh, for a kiss while he is driving fighting her off of him and stopping the car he gets out yelling for her to get away from him he notices the old bicycle kid thing person whatever that thing is riding away from a payphone he try he turns his attention back to linda when he hears her groaning and bones starting to crack, she peeks. Un- she oh. peeks around the door, saying that Kane has a job for him, revealing herself being all contorted and twisted. So good. No, I love this. I this love this so much. Fantastic. And I love that she has a smile on her uh, face the whole, the whole time. time. Yeah, <laughs> very much reminds me of Japanese horror. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's very actually much. a good point. Yeah, very good point. Also, yeah, the thing. 
that's what like popped in my oh, mind sure. immediately. And I was like, yeah. oh my God, just the body just going all over the place. And it's so weird and good looking. It looks, it looks so great. good. Oh, this looks good. Looking. Oh my God. Yeah, this looks so great. creepy. Oh my God. <laughs> if I saw that coming at me anywhere, even in broad daylight, not even in the dark. Oh my God. I, I don't know what I would do. I'd be like, yeah, I'm dead. I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to slowly go to the ground and crawl like a little baby and die. <laughs> I, I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't be able to run. I'd be like, nope, this is it. I, I accept this. Dead. She crawls towards John, him jumping into his car, driving off into the night. Cut to uh, cut to him driving on the highway, hear, um, hearing the giggles of Linda, and the road starts to change, causing him to end back in, in front of the crowd. He immediately turns around and drives the opposite direction, trying to make sense of it all. Um, yeah, I would hit them. Uh, the road starts flashing. <laughs> he spots Linda. I don't care. He spots Linda and the old kid, uh, old kid man on the bike. Them, um, then her giggling as the road changes once again. He ends up back in front of the crowd, and um, and he turns around until it happens yet again. John is a lot calmer this time. Then starts charging at the crowd, missing them, creatures and uh, missing them creatures and swerving out of the way when he sees linda he crashes to a car knocked out from the crash uh, and why why like why do you i want to hit her ass too like she True. just fucking changed it to a dog but but that's not how she's he's, written well it's probably not how he's written oh i'm sorry that's what i meant to say oh okay well then you're right <laughs> uh, so are fates, you fates john, thanks man fates and john uh uh waking up in a confessional he tries to get out but can't and he tries to light that cigarette. While trying to light a cigarette, a light flashes from the other side. Kane begins um, speaking to him from the other side uh, of the door. Kane claims that his work is real and more people believe in his work than they do the Bible. John asks, what is, uh, what is his point? Um, trying to rationalize the situation. He tells Kane that his books suck. Kane silencing <laughs> him with another flash of light. Damn. He suggests that John reads his new one, claiming the effect will end, will drive him mad. Kane uh, continues saying that the point is belief, claiming that the old ones will begin their journey back. The more the people believe, the faster the journey, knowing that this book will be even more popular. His head flashes into the room with John, asking him if he wants to see. He smashed John's head into the wall, flashing creatures and Linda in his mind. John falls into the room where Kane uh, was typing his work. Kane finishes finishes it in the mouth of madness handing the pages over to john for delivery linda is behind kane him walking over the walking over to the growling and pulsing door kane instructs him to take the manuscript back to the world john is conf is confused kane reminds him that he uh, is what he writes exampling the town letting him know that it was there before he wrote adding that he wasn't um and that he wasn't either Excuse me, letting him know that it wasn't there before he wrote it, um, adding that he wasn't there either. John gets up in denial, claiming that he knows what is real, that nobody pulls his strings. Kane moves closer to him, mentioning that his agent didn't attack him by accident. He knew about him because of what was written, claiming that he tried to stop him. John tells Kane that he knows what he he is while hand, handing the manuscript over to Linda, Kane telling him to read the book if he doesn't believe him. 
Bro, you still trust her? (laughs) Stop trusting her, bro. Kane demands him to go back to the world beyond the passage. A doorway opens up, Kane telling telling them to go because he can't um, hold them back any longer. John looks back at Kane, him ripping himself like... ripping himself like pages leaving a large rip page um where the door once was this looks really cool it looks good like when he's like ripping himself like sure the cg is a little a little wonky but when the rip is actually done and and like you just see the text like rip through the door and it's it looks like actual paper like yeah i have to agree fantastic i have to agree john goes over to inspect the anomaly linda reading the end of kane's (sighs) book to him he is looking into the abyss and as she is reading john's actions he asks for her to come with him she tells him that she can't because she just finished the book John starts running down the hall from the creatures that emerge from the abyss. He falls on the ground, covering his head, screaming and waking up in the middle of the highway during the day. John is looking around, familiar with the surrounding. The kid on the bike is riding down on his bike. He calls he calls out to him. He asks John if he's been in an accident and if he and if he needs to get someone. John asks for the boy to point him in the uh, point him towards the highway, and the and he does. Then he starts riding off. He calls for the kid again, asking if he's heard of Hobbs End. The kid shakes his head, continue and continues riding. John starts uh, walking and hitchhiking. A truck picks him up and drops him off at a motel. Cut to John in the motel watching an old cheesy horror flick. <laughs> I love it. And he go and this is where you notice the hotel room is actually six this time. Um, the uh, blah 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 blah. Where am I? I? Lost my spot. Dang it! This is why I do the clicks, guys. This is why. This is why I need to stop that. <laughs> uh, he goes into the bathroom, clearly uncomfortable. Then we cut to him asleep in the bed. Then jump to him inside the lobby, paying for a newspaper before the clerk comes back. The clerk comes back, letting John know that he has a package for him. He tells the clerk that nobody knows that he's there, but there's uh there's um Manila package with his name largely written on it. Um, John goes back into his room, opening the package, and it's Kane's story. He goes back into he goes back to the clerk, grabbing him, asking who delivered the package. He tells John that he do, he wasn't there and he doesn't know. A man comes into the room, letting him know that um, letting him know that he was the one who was actually there and he didn't see anybody. John burns the pages of the manuscript before leaving and catching a bus back to New York. Cut to John on the bus, him ignoring a woman speaking to him. I don't blame him. That was kind of annoying about some <laughs> shit that had totally went down in like the Great Depression of how New York was. It is now nighttime. John waking up with Kane sitting next to him this time, letting John know that he is God now and that he isn't going anywhere. Kane lets him know that he will help him believe, telling him to look, um, telling him to look around when he wakes up mentioning his favorite color is blue. Fucking scene's amazing. John wakes up and everything around him is blue filtered. John starts to scream, but the folks wake him up from his nightmare. Wow. I love that scene. I love that so scene sick. so much. It's so funny too. Yeah. Like it is a, it's a very comedic scene, but like I, I really truly love that scene. I'll it just shows up. how much power he has too. Oh and yeah. It, it's a scene I did not see coming at all. Yeah. I mean, it's something that's like so random but so maddening which is like perfect for this character to see it's like i know your favorite color is blue look at the world turn blue now and we get into this world of just everyone's wearing blue everything's blue tint yeah um yeah it was so cool watching yeah, looks so i think good. um looks so good i think it's very interesting that that's what set him off right that right. that's what had him to the point of screaming but i think what is 
cool for us because we're in the Bay Area, right? And in 2020, we had a week where the sky was oh, orange yeah. and everything to us looked orange because of oh, the pollution yeah. being so bad. That that was a tough like week for me, right? Oh and yeah, that I was a could, rough one. Now with that context, like I could imagine how frightening that could be in that moment when you just open your eyes and then all of a sudden everything is just a shade of blue. It's, for some reason that just messes with you, right? Because uh, from earlier on the entire movie, we see stuff that shouldn't be there in reality, but this is changing all of reality for him. That's a good. It's, point. it's a bigger yeah. change of yeah. like. This is something that's affecting everything rather than seeing something that I don't believe the is there. Yeah. And I'm very skeptical skeptical about all this, even to the point with like the whole riots and like people with the access. He's like, oh, these are really good actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, they pick great character because he's supposed to find out scams from people. Yeah, I just he's trying to, to disprove everything yeah. in his whole entire career. And he continues doing that in this entire movie. But it's like, I can't disprove this. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is everything changing. That's exactly what I was going to bring like, up as well. I'm, I'm going really crazy now. And he probably snaps at that moment because. Because it's very clear and very obvious that it's not a con, right? It's not a scam because how can right. anyone do that unless you put blue tinted glasses on someone while they're sleeping? If not, it's just a scam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. It's great pretty great sequence. It's a great sequence. It's a fantastic sequence. And I love that you brought up like even our reality yeah. of how we had to deal with the, the uh, yeah. pollution of the fires. And it's just, it's fucking wild. Yeah, because you don't believe that's something that would have happened and you're like... This is out of this world type stuff. I, you can you can tell me that you know something like the the fire pollution of the air being orange and there being no daylight for a couple of days. You can right. tell me that was going to happen and you could prep it for me, but I would not be able to fathom it without experiencing it. That's true, and I think that's why this kind of hold this scene holds weight the, because the big, the big thing was like there was no sunlight for days. Yeah, that yeah. was crazy. Yeah. Fuck, I'd never want that to happen again. <laughs> yeah. John is telling the woman about Hobbs Inn and she is completely denying his accusations about the town. He demands her supervisor but startles everyone in the room so he leaves. He is walking He is walking in the alley um, alleyway with the slightly ripped poster. He rips it further showing a man who looks just like him looking towards the corner of the alley where the guy was getting his ass beat by that cop. Cut to John tell, telling Jackson what happened. Jackson humors him asking him if he believes it. John tells him that that he isn't crazy. Jackson asks him if he's heard the rumors of how Kane's books affect certain readers. He tells Jackson that Linda told him. He is confused about the name, but remembers that John said that it was the girl he supposedly sent him with. Um, sent with him, excuse me. He tells John that he knows he sent him off alone, asking why wouldn't he remember her. John suggests that she was actually written out of the story, claiming that everything he said is true and real. John saying that he's destroyed the manuscript, but Jackson tells him that also isn't true because he delivered the manuscript to him months ago. John is confused. Jackson tells him that he um, it was that the book was published and has been in stores for seven weeks now. He asks Jackson if he's if he's um, if he read it. And he hasn't because it gives him the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> John tells him to pull um, to pull it and not distribute it because it would drive pe- some people crazy. But that's the plan. Letting him know that the movie comes out next month. Fuck. I love uh, his delivery. He's like, 
Well, the movie comes out next month. So, <laughs> fuck you, we getting paid. Cut <laughs> <laughs> to, to a crowd of people in line eagerly waiting to get their copy of Kane's book. We see the cover of the book and it being John Trent running from his own paranoia in the, in the image. A news anchor is VOing over the crowd speaking on Kane's successful book and that the police are at a loss on the outbreak of violent crimes. He continues that the, uh, that the mayor has called an emergency meeting to discuss an ep- epidemic of paranoid schizophrenia. This is fucking fascinating. So yeah. I, I, I wonder, and I'm sure there is, I wonder if there's a theory out there that um, John Trent was actually never a lawyer and was actually always mentally unstable. And everything that is occurring in the film is kind of going on in his mind. Yeah. I, that's not a theory that I would lean on, but I wonder if that's a theory that's out I'm there sure. for this film. That's interesting, hundred percent. Yeah, because what he because he's technically not a lawyer, right? He, like he he's like a like a he whatever he is. He's like a subpoena server. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, way, he, yeah. he like checks out like on cons to make sure people's not like fucking up or anything. But yeah, yeah, I um I agree. I I think that is something that makes it very interesting mm-hmm. as to how his mindset is throughout this film. Yeah, but it's I don't know. I don't know because I do think he has some involvement, but I'll tell you my theory in a second. (laughs) John is waiting, uh, is waiting, staring through the window outside the bookstore. A guy with bloody, uh, bloody tears walks outside reading the book and his eyes are also like cool and shit. John asks him if he likes the book and he tells him, gee, I love it. And John takes an axe to the man and the crowd screaming from his actions. Cut to John back with Dr. Wren in the padded room, knowing that it, um, knowing that it is spreading out there. He claims that it will continue to spread as long as people read. Wren asks about the folks who don't read, John reminding him about the movie. Wren agrees, turning off his recorder, letting John know that he is going to leave now. John tells him not to worry, adding that it is safer in there and that it will get worse out there john tells him that the world is ending he leaves out of the room saperstein locking the door behind him he asks ren if he had anything to say ren claims that it, it was useless john blaming sutter kane for the epidemic uh, saperstein asks if he reads sutter kane but ren walks off back with john the lights pulsing out uh, lighting lightning filling up his room hearing the sound of people screaming and crying as they get as they uh Excuse me. As the um, they, oh God, I did not complete that sentence. <laughs> um, I'm just gonna skip it. Um, the screaming suddenly stops for a moment as something finds finds um finds him and breaks his door open. John gets up, opening the bloody clawed door. He walks out, seeing the faculty in. Um, in complete shambles, pages of Kane's books strewn across the floor. While walking down the hall, a fun little jump scare of something passing by the screen, John walks out into the lobby overhearing the broadcast of the city being deserted without any emergency services available. He grabs a towel, wiping, wiping the markings off his face before walking outside. The man on the radio continues over, going over what is going on throughout the city and this epidemic. Cut to John walking underneath the marquee, saying, In the Mouth of Madness with John Trent. He goes inside the movie theater, popcorn in hand, watching his movie play out, hysterically laughing at himself within the film, playing throughout his mind. Then, credits. Ugh. I fucking love this movie. <laughs> so <laughs> good. I love, I love seeing the movie so in the movie too. At the movie yeah, oh yeah. The, the meta so shit good. was like yeah. my jam. I'm always a fan of meta. I love that shit. So, to go with my theory. Yeah, I want to hear it. My theory is none of this shit technically happened. However, I do think John 
worked at Arcane Publishing. That's close to my theory. So really? I think he worked there, and I think he was actually supposed to be Linda. Like, I think he oh. was the editor of Kane's books, which is why he read them. Mm. That's what I like to think. You know what I think? But this, um, this is probably bonkers. It's probably not real, but I like to neither think so. <laughs> but I think he is Sutter Kane. Well, that's also true story. Well. He's going inside, uh, mad in his own story, in his that own makes sense. head. Yeah, that and makes a lot of sense. He sees it all played out and having him as like such a skeptic and like persons like, like no, I should not write the story this way. That's not really believable. But at the same time, let me see how it plays out. And we kind of see all of these what? visualizations. And it's like, all right, let me see in the perspective of Styles and see what she would do inside this like uh, church and stuff. And we just see different like fragments of uh, a story being told. Yeah. So I think going in on that, um, because this is going to be super random, but I think about actors that play the Joker and how they kind of lose themselves. And, right. you know, sometimes uh, it scares them to get that in depth with the character. But what if um, Sutter Kane as a writer really tries to take the role of a skeptic or right. someone like Styles so much where they create split personalities that they can't control? Completely. Right. Quite possible. And, I mean, because schizophrenia, like, exactly. It, it, it is. It that. can do that. Yeah. It is. That. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, another thing, too, is like, oh, this is him looking at his own work in the movie theater and he's happy about it. He's and, proud right. of his work. Yeah. And I was like, damn. Maybe. And I think I don't know. That laugh switch between, uh, switching between a laugh and a cry can be yeah. a result of that split personality. 100%. Yeah. Like, it, it could be like the fact that he's like, stuck and lost inside of his own mind like, yeah right. like he he created what he wanted to create but at what cost right or maybe mm. he didn't oh yeah like it's just it's just that's the beauty behind this fucking movie because all of this could just be bullshit yeah right right it could be the theory that could be john Trent is actually typewriter. someone that's, that's walking down the street that may need help and is you know you mentally know. unstable and fabricated this whole reality for himself but True. Is actually someone that is like attacking people on the street with an axe, and yeah, you know, fuck, and then puts gets put into the mental institution, and he very much thinks he is the hero of reality, yeah. right? Yeah, I need a hero. thing that like I don't know, like gives a little evidence to like my theory too. It's like, oh, there's all these random people like going up to him and being like, "We see you. He sees you. It's like you're the writer. We see you. He sees you that you're writing your own story or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's just like." I don't know. This movie hurts my head sometimes thinking about it. But I that's why I love like this that. movie. Yeah. This is yeah. why I love this that This movie's movie. a good head scratcher. Yeah. It's a yeah. great head scratcher. But I got some movie facts for us here. Movie, movie facts? <gasps> Hob is an old word which was used to refer to the devil. <laughs> the devil's end. This is the third film in what John, Compter, John Carpenter has called his Apocalypse Trilogy. The first being The Thing and the second being Prince of Darkness. Have you guys seen Prince of Darkness? No. Have you never heard of Prince of Darkness? I have not. No. Oh, fuck. Prince, please watch Sorry. Prince of Darkness. It's on, our, it's on our list. So don't watch it. Is it on tape? Is it what? Is what? Is it on tape? <laughs> it's on tape. I mean, technically it was, <laughs> yeah. if you could find it. Okay, perfect. Uh, the car keys that Julia Carmen swallows when Sam Neill is trying to escape from town were made out of pasta. Huh? He actually swallowed that. Great. Wow. <laughs> um, interesting. Uh, Hayden Christensen's, uh, <gasps> this was his feature film debut. He was a kid riding the bike. No way. <laughs> dude. Hey. All right. So, <laughs> dude, I've been literally talking about Hayden Christensen all month because yeah. I've been on such a Star Wars hype. And he's like my fave. 
Here's a, here's a, a long juicy one for us here. In the film, the work of Sutter Kane are occasionally quoted. Most, if if not all, of these quotes are actually taken directly from several H.P. Lovecraft short stories, with some adaptions to fit into this um, into the film story. Most notable mm. in the scene where Styles reads to Trent as he gazes into the abyss. Her speech lifts much of of its description, including such elements as quote the. Of the eliminate the eliminatable gulf of the unknown end quote from the last few paragraphs of lovecraft's quote the rats in the walls end quote in the in an earlier scene as well trent reads a line verbatim from lovecraft's the haunter of the dark in reference of the black church being the seat of the evil order than mankind and wider than the unknown universe whoa i like that that's fucking cool uh let's do one more the Cutter Saint character is clearly based on John Carpenter's friend Stephen King, even referencing King's New England roots with Hobbes Inn um, filling in uh, for King's Castle Rock. Carpenter directed a film version of King's Christine, probably one of the best fucking uh, like Stephen King films from the 80s, in my opinion. Yeah, Christine. Um, I love Christine. Love Christine. Additionally, Michael DeLuca had previously written the screenplay for the King adaption, The Lawnmower Man. However, the characters say that Sutter Kane is even more popular than Stephen King. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> but that is all I got. Let us know what you think in the mouth of madness over on Twitter at nightlight underscore pod. Um, or let us know on our personal Twitters. Um, we would love to keep this conversation going. We definitely would love to keep this conversation going because there's so many fucking theories out there. <laughs> I'm excited to see what yeah. people think yeah. about this film. But the next movie that we do have upcoming on our list of March of Madness is going to be Annihilation, which I'm very excited to talk about. I haven't got to really talk about this movie. I know uh, the boys over on Goodnight Movie Club had the opportunity to cover it, correct? Who's on there? Oh, I believe uh, Frederick uh. Lamar Nudie is on there. <laughs> That's not his middle name. He is one of the boys. <laughs> definitely not his little name. I will say this. This has one of the most disturbing scenes I've ever seen in the movie. I think I've said uh -oh. that before. I so cannot good. wait to watch it again. But this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. And alongside me, I had David. Stay spooky, everyone. Always in forever. <laughs> also known as Nightly. And the other in there, we had Freddie. Spoopy Boys out. Also known as Nighty Night. Our efforts to get our show out is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish nights. Rating us with five stars is very helpful. We would love for you to recommend this podcast to someone who would actually enjoy it. You can further support the show over at patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife. That's like with a what? By pledging on Patreon, you have access to the show ad-free and as early as Monday with a post-show. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. A new, a new episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. And remember everybody, don't forget your nightlight.